Blog Talk Radio. saying and and I was saying it to somebody else today is 
to me, it was freezing. It was colder than it was some of the days of winter because of the wind blowing. I mean, the wind oh, was God, blowing yeah. right through you. Yeah, it was brutal. Brutal, brutal. So, uh, anyways, are you ready to talk about the Prime Directive in Star Trek? Yeah. I think yeah, we can the, dive you know, right the in. More, the more I read or think about the Prime Directive, it's it's a nice-sounding word, but <laughs> I swear every episode is uh, – I don't know. It just kind of bends it. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're going to talk a lot about that tonight. And if you're listening to the show right now and you'd like to join our conversation on the Prime Directive, as I said earlier, please give us a call. Our phone number here is 646-668-2433. Put us in speed dial. That way it's easier. So uh, the Prime Directive basically, as I said last week, just prohibits Starfleet from interfering in the development of races which have not yet achieved warp travel, warp speed. Basically, that's what it comes down to. If you haven't created, uh, figured out warp speed yet, then they leave you alone. Now, if you have uh, created warp speed and figured it out, I guess they can come in and do anything they want, I guess. I, I, I don't know. But um, we're going to talk about that. So, before we dive in, though, Leslie and I were having an interesting conversation in chat before the show, and uh, Leslie brought up Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. And as many of you know, people refer to that one as the whale story. And uh, that's where the Enterprise slingshots around the sun, goes back to Earth to 1986, picks up a couple of back whales by the name of George and Gracie, brings them back to the future, drops them off in the San Francisco Bay. They talk to the whale probe, which is destroying the planet. The whale probe says, hey, dude, that's cool, and flies away and spares the planet Earth. So before we start talking about the Prime Directive, that brings up an interesting, an interesting question, and that is, does the Prime Directive uh, include time travel shenanigans. Now, in Star Trek IV, uh, Earth already had warp speed capabilities, so they weren't interfering with a pre-warp society. Um, They didn't go back in time and alter the past like we saw in um, um, uh, 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 many times before um, on Star Trek. But they did alter the future. So they went back in the past, got a couple of whales that were extinct, brought them to the future. Is that still violating the prime directive? What do you think, Leslie? Is that a violation of the prime directive? Again, it seems to me, well, first I'd like to do a trivia on do you understand uh, the whales being – do you know why the whales were called George and Gracie? <laughs> George and Gracie, because they were awesome dancers. No, it's George Burns and Gracie Allen. 
two vaudeville yeah. comedians that were awesome dancers. <laughs> so, this, so I don't know. I guess that's an inside joke of being George and Gracie. Yeah. But, uh, anyways, okay. Yes. To me, if the whales were extinct, I mean it. Uh, I I just don't know whether to just go on with this. Is that if the whales were extinct, extinct in the current present of that movie? Um. It seems like they violated their own prime directive by going back and grabbing a couple of whales and and bringing them back to the future. I mean, uh, hopefully, I mean, the good thing is that it was a pair of whales. Hopefully the whales, um, you know, did have <laughs> babies and things like that, but... Uh, I'm just trying to think like, uh, well, the dodo bird is extinct. The homing pigeon is extinct. Should we go back in time? I mean, it would be nice, but should in 2021, should we go back in time and somehow retrieve a male and female dodo bird or homing pigeon or... Uh, I think the white rhinoceros is about to be extinct or is extinct. The last male died. I mean, are we supposed to go back in time and retrieve these animals and and restock the world? I mean, you know, in your heart, the answer is yes, but... If this is evolution and they died out, whether it was man that caused it, whether what about the dinosaurs? Should we go back in time and, and retrieve male and female dinosaurs? Then we're doing grass, Jurassic Park. Well, <laughs> Not we, what Beard, about but Jurassic Park? <laughs> <laughs> and while we're talking about this, what about all the time travel? Now, we saw The Guardian of Forever, where Edith Keeler had to die because she was going to have peace, and then the Nazis would have taken over the planet. So they had to go back in time and make sure that that event happened. We saw it again with Gary Seven, where the mission of the Enterprise was to make sure history didn't get altered. But what about all those instances? uh, We're going to jump right into Voyager here because – we just did a story on this particular topic on Trek Talk, and you know, I think it was last week, or may it have been the week before, about how Captain yeah, is a time travel. She has time traveled and died more than any other captain in Starfleet for a total of 17 times. In my opinion, the, 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 the biggest one was the finale. Now, when Voyager gets back to Earth, it takes them... 23 years, or whatever the date was, and uh, Chakotay and Seven of Nine died along the way. Admiral Janeway, back in time, alters the past so that the Voyager gets back 23 years earlier than it originally did, and 
Seven of Nine and Chakotay are no longer dead because, of course, Seven of Nine shows up on Picard later. So Janeway went back and altered the past to change the future. Is that a violation of the Prime Directive, do you think? Again, it 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 seems... I think time travel books, movies, episodes are very, very touchy. I mean, um, technically I would say yes. Um, City on the Edge of Forever, I mean, McCoy went crazy and he jumped through that time portal and and he he altered an already past. So I don't know about that one. Is that if anything they also uh Kirk and Spock jumped through the time portal. Bones had altered of an already what should I call it? pre past. I mean in other words the Germans lost, but by Bones going back, the Germans won. So, I don't know. In that case, I'd almost say they had to correct the the prime the prime directive had been broken, and I think they had to correct the prime directive. Right, and not to confuse matters. Anymore, but that's what I do. That's my job um, is to make people that are listening to the show stop and think. So here's another one. Uh, in the animated series Yesteryear, which I think is one of the best episodes uh, of the animated series, if you, if you have avoided the animated series because you don't like the choppy animation and whatnot, uh, I highly, highly recommend that you go to YouTube or Netflix or Paramount Plus and watch one episode yesteryear written by DC Fontana, who is an incredible Star Trek writer. As you know, all the characters are voiced by their TOS actors. So that's cool too. But in this particular episode, Mr. Spock, they're at the guardian of forever and uh, they go back to do some studies. And when they come back, Spock is, no one knows who Spock is. And there's another, there's a new first officer and come to find out that Spock actually took off into the Vulcan desert for the Kazwan ordeal, and he died as a six-year-old. And that changed the whole future. And Spock's cousin, um, uh, Salek, played by Spock himself, goes back in time and helps his younger self to survive the Kazwan ordeal, correcting the future because he was a predestined oradox, paradox because Spock always went back in time and saved himself. And this was just the continuation of the loop. Is that an example of changing, of violating a prime directive? What do you think? Yes, because, yes, because there was already a history of Spock being second in command and and he changed the future that didn't allow him to be second in command anymore. 
So so that's to me that's uh violating the prime directive. Or again, yeah, it's, it's, I, I don't know. It's confusing <laughs> to say time travel and prime directive because because if he was never part of the federation because of cha- well I mean it, that gets all messed up is that if he yep. you know stayed with in Vulcan or on Vulcan then he never joined the federation which means there was no prime directive for him right it just these are just um <laughs> These are just topics that I'm throwing out for the listeners to think about. Open up your mind and look at things in a different perspective. But, yeah. Um, well, that I I think I missed it last week, and for the life of me, I'm also forgetting what the name of the episode was. But where where the Enterprise went back, and there was the pilot in the uh, jet that. Uh, they ended up beaming him onto the Enterprise, and at first they're saying, you're nobody, no one's going to miss you if you stay with us. And then they discover that he had a son, except he hadn't had the son yet. So they had to send him back. Do you remember that episode? Yeah, that was Tomorrow is Yesterday. And, um, oh, okay. Yeah. But, yep. so, so in other and, words, the pilot had they're saying well originally they're saying the pilot had no effect on the future so let's forget him let's just bring him with us but then spock goes deeper and realizes that this pilot has a son that that did have a big effect on on the world in the future so they did have to return him which means that they violated the prime directive and they had to correct it or if they hadn't put him back the son never would have been born and in that particular case Spock beamed him back before they beamed him out so uh, the pilot uh, was his name Gary uh, I don't remember the pilot's name but when they beamed the yeah, pilot Gary back Gary to me is Gary to me is Gary 7 and that's the one with the black cat Right, with ISIS. I, but I think Spock beamed him back before they beamed him out, so he never remembered ever even being there. He just saw a flash of light and was like, what was that? And never even never even knew about it. Right. But, when, they, when they slingshot themselves, they went back in time first, put them back in the jet, um, and then, you know, slingshot them back into the future. So I think there's a scene where he thinks he sees something, but it disappears so quickly that, you know, he he says, oh, I see something. No, I guess I don't see anything. So he has no memory of being on the Enterprise. But uh, Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know. Like I say, uh, these these time well like back to the future i mean it's it's a fun series to watch but uh well and i forget if it was the third one where where biff got the sports magazine and 
from, I don't know, the 50s, 60s, 70s, and the magazine was, let's say, from the 70s or 60s, and he became a multimillionaire because he knew what football teams, what baseball teams were going to win. So he, so he uh, gambled on a sure thing. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, poor. The the analogy is, in this case, Biff would have definitely broken the prime directive. <laughs> well, luckily it was Back to the that, Future, not Star Trek. I think that time travel <laughs> stories are fun in Star Trek because it gives them an opportunity to play around with things and show us something different, what might have been in a what-if type of uh, scenario. Um, but in reality, and also when you talk about time travel, there's so many different concepts as to what would really happen. For instance, if you go back in time and killed your mother before you were born, how could you go back in time and kill your mother before you were born? If you killed your mother before you were born, you never would have been born to go back in time to kill her in the first place. So, you know, if that's the way you look at time. Yeah, which sort of goes back to the movie Back to the Future, is that the mother fell in love with Marty, her son, not knowing that, I mean, Marty knew that was his mother, but but she didn't know that Marty was her son. And he had to yep. he had to correct it and have her fall in love with her father with his father, and and he had that photograph and you know the family is slowly disappearing because he's altered yep. time. Exactly. So it it gives you it's fun. It's just fun to it's fun to think about what could be, what might be, what could have been, um, and there really is no right or wrong answer. It's a, you know, it's up to you. It's an ethical question, just like the prime directive, because as we said last week on our show, how many times did Kirk violate it? I didn't count them, Leslie. It was a bunch. Oh, yeah. Wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, right. I, I didn't count it either, but I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't even want to say one-third, 50%, whatever. He was just violating them left and right. I mean, you know, he just took his own opinion and made that prime directive correct for him. And uh, before we cut the commercial, though, I have a little trivia, uh, inform- a little question for you guys, because we talked about this on Trek Talking last week. How many times? What percentage of the time, let me put it that way, do you think Captain Kirk lost his shirt on the original series? Do you think he lost his shirt a lot? Do you think it's a trope? You know, I saw that, and and his shirt got ripped a lot, but I, I, I don't know if I remember him completely topless. I mean, well, his girdle end- would have been showing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he couldn't be well, wa- he couldn't be naked from the waist up because, like I said, he was in a girdle. Well, here's a here's a sad truth, and you guys can decide this for yourself. 
we listed off every episode of TOS, and it came out to about 25% of the time Kirk was shirtless. So that's one quarter of the episodes he was shirtless. Uh, so you can decide for yourself, is that a lot? Is that a little? You know, it's up to you what, what, what you think. But 25% of the time, wow. uh, one out of every four episodes, Kirk's shirt would fall off. And, uh, in fact, they make a joke about that. Well, it looks like you found a way to get your shirt off again. So that was a little little Star Trek joke. So, listen, guys, we have to take our first commercial break for our listeners over at Odyssey Radio. Uh, for the rest of you guys, just hang out here for a minute, and we'll be right back. We have a lot to talk about still. We're going to be diving into TNG and the Prime Directive. Don't touch that dial. Trek Talking. All things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday night, 7.30 to 9.30, all hailing frequencies are open. iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek Talking. Boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go. And we're back. Uncle Jim, the Leslie Hoffman, and the Prime Directive Part 2. So, Leslie, let's dive into TNG. What do you say? Okay. Um, I got to admit, some of these episodes I remember, some of them I don't. Maybe you can help me fill them in. Is There was an episode called Justice. Now, I have a feeling this is the one where Wesley fell into the flower, hothouse, greenhouse, whatever you want to call it. Wasn't he trying to catch some kind of ball or something, and he falls into the little glass, uh, like I say, hothouse, and breaks it? And, yep. yep. And, uh, and that's death if you do that. Now, yeah, those half-naked I consider dudes that, that were running around the prime as jumpers. To- they come running over in their white jumpers, and they're going to inject him with poison and kill him. And uh, Captain Picard stops them. But if you remember in that episode, there was this giant floating um, uh, thing orbiting the planet that protect, protected the Edo. And when Captain Picard violated the Prime Directive by saving Wesley's life, he did so at the risk of knowing that this this all powerful um I don't even know what they called it, being who scanned their computers would be aware of the prime directive and if this all powerful being felt that they were violating their own laws, it, the the thing would have killed could have killed them all for violating their own laws and as it turns out, the Edo God didn't do that. So that's an interesting twist as well. Yeah. So, so again, I mean, uh, I I feel the prime. I don't want to see Wesley dead, but I feel that the prime directive definitely was violated in that. Uh, then the next one I have is Pen Pals. Um, I remember that it was like a little – now, I'm not sure, you know, they're calling it pen pals, but somehow Data is talking to a very young girl on a planet that that's going to get destroyed from a natural disaster. 
and they stopped the natural disaster. Now, again, uh, should that planet have been destroyed due to the natural disaster, or, or in this case, they do save her planet? But, but they didn't even know that there were spaceships. I mean, now here's a society <laughs> that doesn't even know about um, space travel. So, I mean, the Federation would have never contacted them as a possible um, candidate to join the Federation, yet, yet they saved this planet. Now, is that right or wrong? I mean, yes, if you have a heart, you say, yes, I want to save this planet, but is that violating the prime directive? Good question. And then, uh, okay, question. so, oh, okay, so the next one is who watches the watchers? Um, this is one where an inhabitant on the planet is hurt um and and without even thinking they beam the inhabitant i believe to the ship to save their life and and the question is should they have saved the life yes because I mean, in this particular, if you, um in this instance they thought that the Federation and Captain Picard were gods, so Picard beams down to the planet and lets them kill him by, 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 with a bow and arrow, and they beam him back up to the Enterprise, and Crusher saves his life to, to prove that he's not a god. Right, but they never yeah. would have been in that situation if they had allowed the original inhabitant to die. Exactly. You know, it it just further complicates things. Yep. I mean, again, uh, it's very sad to allow anybody, or human, animal, whatever, it's very sad to, to see a death. I mean, I think you would try to stop. <laughs> of course, you wouldn't want to try to stop Hitler's death, but, uh, you know, you I think most people don't want to see someone die, but but then again, yeah. there's this prime directive. So, I mean, what do you do? Do you <laughs> do you follow the prime directive, or do you save a, a being's life? Exactly. Now, this next then one is a was, very interesting one. Yeah, so then I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. Symbiosis is that I believe there were two planets. One planet is sending drugs to the other planet. And, and I mean, so, so these people are drug addicts on this other planet. And Picard withholds the drugs to break the cycle of addiction now, again, is that breaking the rule? I mean, in other words, he ended up helping the addicted planet, but is that breaking the rules? So in this particular one, uh, 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 Merrick Buttrick, who played David Marcus, 
in uh, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and The Search for Spock. He's one of the addicted people on this planet. The other planet are drug dealers, and they're dealing drugs to this planet and taking advantage of this addiction, and they're getting rich and powerful off the addiction of this entire planet. Beverly Crusher cures the, the um, uh, people on the ship so that they know that it's just an addiction, and then Geordi fixes their ship, and Picard tells them to send the ship to the planet with the drugs, even though he knows that it's wrong and he can stop it, and, and Crusher has an argument with him about that. And the drug dealers say, look, your prime directive says you can't stop us. You have to send the drugs. And they were really, they were real dinks, those drug dealers, too. You just wanted to slap them around. They were arrogant, uh, idiot, morons. But in the end, Picard let them addict this entire planet and uh, pissed off Beverly Crusher no end over it because she could have cured them. So, right. you know. So- I mean, Should we don't. We don't have planet. a right. We don't you have know? a prime directive in 2021. Uh, so, I mean, of course, if you find a drug dealer, you hope they're going to arrest them and and stop these illegal drugs. And and I don't know. Now you have a bunch of d- addicted people. You have crack babies. I mean, it's a horrible thing. But, but again, that's where this prime directive seems to be sometimes a bigger hindrance than it is a help. Yep, I agree. Yeah, it's an so, interesting. It's interesting to talk yeah. about, though. Yeah. So, so another episode, the hunted. Um, I really don't remember this one, but it was that a planet wanted to join the Federation, so they must have known of space travel, et cetera, blah, 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 blah. But I guess they find out when they come to visit the planet that they don't treat the war veterans correctly. And uh, like I say, I don't remember this episode. Did... Did they tell the planet that, sorry, you can't join us until you take care of the war veterans correctly? Or what? Do you know that episode? So this is the episode with Roga Dainar. And um, this planet has these, these genetically altered engineered super soldiers that fight their wars for them. And um, when they had no more wars, they had no use for these super soldiers, so they were all locked up as criminals. And Roga Dainar escapes and gets aboard the Enterprise and wreaks all kinds of havoc. And uh, Picard and, and, and the crew finds out about this whole situation and can't do anything about it because of the Prime Directive, which, again, you know, is that a good or a bad thing? So was you know, the end of the episode that they told them that they can't join the Federation? Like I say, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of vague on some of these episodes. Yeah, I don't remember if they uh, 
if they joined the Federation or freed the veterans that were being abused, um, I don't honestly remember. It's been a long time since I saw that episode. I, I remember Rogadane R was a badass, and, uh, you know, he gave Worf a run for his money. But I don't remember about the what happened to the planet. I honestly don't remember. I'll have to go okay. and look that up. Well, so the next one is the high ground, and um, there's a civil war going on. Again, I'm not quite familiar with this one. But but they get themselves involved with a civil war now. Um, you know what? What if the Federation came back during our civil war, and they felt that the Confederates should have won, or they or they gave weapons to the Confederate army? I mean, would would that have been right? I mean, you you completely now, altered. Uh, American history. And this is another example of Beverly Crusher having the cure for being able to save these people and being prevented from doing so because of the prime directive. Again, Uh is that a good thing or a bad thing? You know? Right. Yeah, again, well, when we get to DS9... That's when I'm going to really, whatever, two more on on uh, TNG. Actually, this one I do remember is Devil's Due with Ardra. Well, Ardra, the person that was being Ardra actually was a phony. I mean, she was saying she was Ardra, but she wasn't Ardra. And and she's causing earthquakes and all sorts of things, and she's saying, I gave you a thousand good years of uh, harvest and this and that, and now I want a percentage of, you know, uh, what you've made over the thousand years. Now, Picard um, knows that this person is a, is a phony, and he uses the technology of the Enterprise to cause earthquakes or to make him disappear or things like that. Um, so, so again, uh, like I say, that's a tricky one because did he violate the prime directive or did he expose a crook? Right. Exactly right. I mean, and yeah. I think that's that's the whole point of the whole the prime directive is to make you think about these ethical questions because I I think there's no right or wrong answer in the situations like that. Um, it's, it's whatever you feel is ethically correct because this planet and the devils do. Uh, uh, Ventax 3 thought this woman was a god. She was like the Messiah, the, the coming of the Messiah. She came back and fulfilled the right. prophecy. Right, she wasn't so the Messiah. This entire civilization was built around this. And to destroy that would have completely destroyed this civilization, ripped them to the core. Uh, but she was fake. She, she was a con person, a con man, taking advantage right. of the situation. 
I, so I what can't do you think do, of do the you? actress's name, but like I say, that is one episode that sticks in my head. I enjoy it. She, the actress, did a great job. I mean, or the it was a well-written script. Yeah, that was a good one. That was a really good yeah. episode. Uh, I, in fact, yeah. I just I just put a picture of her of Ardra up on our Trek talking page oh, about thirty five or forty minutes ago. Um, coincidentally, <laughs> that was a great episode. Yeah. So the the last one that I have, I think we already talked about last week, is uh, Code of Honor, where Tashi are. Uh, the bad guy is actually the husband, and what the Enterprise doesn't know is he acts like, you know, he rules the world, but it turns out it's the female that owns the land. So even though he's acting like, you know, big chief, uh, if she's no longer married to him, he's nothing, so it's a fu- he chooses Tasha Yar to be his wife and and uh which also makes the wife very angry um but but it's a fight to the death so Tasha has to kill her but they immediately beam her to the enterprise and maybe she was dead for 30 seconds, but they brought her back to life. And and then they bring the husband up there, and I don't know if that – I'm not quite sure what title the other guy had. But the wife says, you know, the person that I heard cry out for me was this guy. It wasn't my husband. It was this guy. So – you know, you're no longer my husband. <laughs> this guy's my husband, and now he's the head of you know of of the planet and my land. Or I don't know if he technically he like I say he doesn't necessarily get to own the land, but because she now chooses him as her husband, he is the head of of the planet. And I think the husband maybe comes like a second husband, or I I get confused on what happened with that. But I know I know the original guy definitely doesn't get to be husband number one anymore, or if he even gets to be husband at all. I mean, maybe he's just a servant to the guy that she names as husband. I don't quite remember how that one ended. Yeah, he again, uh, the the leader dude picks Tasha Yar. It's kind of like it goes back to the Tiamak Time episode with Spock. He picks Tasha Yar just like just like uh, Spock's wife picked Kirk because it was a win-win situation for him. If Tasha Yar kills his wife, he inherits everything. If his wife kills Tasha Yar, you know nothing's nothing's really going to change. So. He's betting that Tasha Yar can kill his wife, and he does. And as soon as she kills the wife, all the land goes to him. But Beverly Crusher ah, okay. has the toxin for the poison, and once they kill her and she's pronounced dead on the planet, they beam her up 
he gets, she gives her the toxin, brings her back to life, nullifies the whole thing, and because his number two called out to her, she names the number two the number one, and then the new number one makes the old number two his servant, and he ends up with nothing after he gambled. Right. Right. But now, again, if you were to take the prime directive in the purest sense that it was supposed to be in, did they violate prime directive by bringing her back to life? I mean, or should they have allowed this bad guy to end up ruling the planet and and owning the land and all that? I mean, uh, of course you're rooting for Tasha Yar to win the fight. Of course you're rooting for the wife to be brought back to life and and have this this. Uh, I can't think of the right word. I mean, he he thought too much of himself. <laughs> I mean, it was great to see him get taken taken down a peg. <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah. It was. And the other thing I forgot about that particular episode, too, is this planet had this vaccine that they needed to save millions of lives on some other planet that couldn't be replicated, this, this, whatever this vaccine was. And they weren't right. going to give it to Dr. Crusher unless Tasha Yar fought to the death. So she had to fight in order to get the vaccine to save these people Right, right. on this other but planet. It wasn't just a should I or shouldn't I. It was at a whole other planet. But then again, here we go with the prime directive. Should that whole other planet possibly have died? If you were following the prime directive, right, and that's I mean, that's the you know, it just, that Captain I, Picard. Not, again, I'm not trying to kill off all these planets. I'm just saying that when you create this prime directive, uh, you know, it seems like there's got to be a bunch of amendments or clause or what if this this is the situation. Yeah, you're right. And uh, actually, so, I think uh, it was originally called yeah. Directive One, if I remember correctly. In uh, in the cage, it was Directive One, and then yeah. it, it evolved into the Prime Directive later. Right. I think. Right. So, like, so, so using the Prime Directive, though, so. If Charlton Heston hadn't crashed on the planet of the apes and went and went back to Earth and changed it so that the apes never took over, would that be a violation of the Prime Directive? Well, luckily, <laughs> we talked about this last week. Is luckily there was no Federation. This was planet Earth <laughs> sending the astronauts into space, and they thought they were traveling to a different planet and they wake up and or you know the the ship crashes they wake up uh and they think they're on a different planet and and hopefully everyone that's listening has seen the planet of the apes is that what they don't realize until the very end is that the planet that they ended up on 
is actually Earth. In fact, uh, the original writer of Planet of the Apes is French, Pierre, I'm not sure how you pronounce the last name, Boulot. Um You know, the, 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 the astronaut lands um, at a French airport, and he and he thinks, oh, everything's fine now, except that 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 you know uh, that that an ape ants or comes to the spaceship, or like you say, I actually the, there's very few movies that I watch that intrigue me so much that I will read the book, and and it was there was a double ending to this move of uh, the book is not only does he end up at this airport and is greeted by apes it's that the the space people that found this log this book that was floating around in space and was reading it uh they finish reading the book and they go well the, you know this is a bunch of fiction and and then she, I don't know if she, they say that she reaches in into her purse and pulls out a compact and powders her muzzle. In other words, these space travelers were apes also. Yeah. I mean, very good I, book. I, I, it's a, I, I read that book. Very good book. Yeah. So, I mean, wow, we're, we're, we're running out of time again. <laughs> yeah, and we haven't so, even gotten to DS9 or Voyager, so <laughs> I don't know if uh, we're going to go into Prime Directive number three, as opposed to to running through uh, DS9, Voyager, and possibly a couple of the movies. I mean, um, again... It's a big, uh, big topic. Prime... Prime Directive sounds really wonderful, except that it doesn't make any sense. I mean, every situation is different. And I think that's why they violate it so much without being, there's no punishment given to any of these, any of these instances that we've talked about because, um, you know, no one's ever punished for it. So what's, what's the big deal? Why have it if you're not going to be punished for breaking it? Right, exactly. Um, well, like I say, I don't even want to get into, I mean, I have my opinion about DS9, and I have my opinion about Voyager. Um, and and I have a feeling the lady may be talking into your ear any moment. Uh, yep. so, so it isn't even worth talking about DS9 and Voyager. Well, let me ask you I one mean, question we, before we go, Leslie. When you when you oh, were on DS9, did you ever have to break the Prime Directive? Any of the episodes that you were in, were they any of those episodes where you had to break the Prime Directive that you can recall? Hmm. Well, again, DS9, now, now you're uh, – I guess I'll try to – without going into detail is – I don't know. I think of DS9 as military action. I think of it as uh, 
Vietnam or World War II when when Germany got split in half. There was East and West Germany. I mean, you know, <laughs> it was like, uh, well, again, military action. Let's go back to Vietnam. Military action or Korean War, military action is that – uh, the United States didn't want the communists to take over the other half of the country. So so they sent troops over there, which which many young people died, uh, keeping, <laughs> I'll call it loosely, the prime directive, when, when there really was no prime directive. And should, well... I mean, even today you have people on both sides where some say, yes, we needed to be in Korea. Yes, we needed to be in Vietnam. Um, And yet you have other people that said, we shouldn't have been over there. We shouldn't have had loss of life. I mean, you know, we have – well. (laughs) <laughs> trying not to be too political here, we have military veterans that that are homeless, that that can't get a health plan, can't can't even get an appointment at a military hospital, and they're sick. So was yep. was the um, was was the military action worth it? I mean, how many people did we injure in the United States? And that is a question for another day because we are officially <laughs> out of time. So uh, yeah. <laughs> I, just, I wanted to say thank you, Leslie, for hanging out and talking with me tonight about the Prime Directive. It's always fun. Oh, I, I appreciate I, it. It's a tricky, tricky subject that we've been talking about. And we, we I mean, may again, talk about nobody it. Nobody wants anybody to back. die, but we, we might talk about it again next week. I'll, I'll talk with Leslie off the air, and, and we'll let you know. But please head on <laughs> over to the Leslie Hoffman Appreciation Organization Facebook page and say hello, and tell us what you think about the Prime Directive. We'd love to hear from you. The Leslie Hoffman Appreciation Organization Facebook page, and just say hello. And, of course, I want to say thank you to each and every one of you guys listening around the globe, no matter where you are. We really appreciate it, and we couldn't do the show without your support. So thank you so much for spending an hour with Leslie and myself. Of course, I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim. On behalf of Stunt Treks, I want to say to everybody, please be good to each other and stay safe. We'll be back next week, same bat time, same bat channel. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, Leslie. Night. Let's see what's out there. Engage. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.